0: Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit our website, mbcmettery.org. Now here's this week's message. Amen. So today we're going to be in the book of Acts. And so if you got your Bible or a phone or device, I want you to go ahead and be turning with me to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be in verse 19 here in just a second. I want to again join, welcome everybody that's joining with us online. I want to encourage you guys that might be watching from home or watching on vacation, go ahead, get your Bible out or get your phone out. I'm going to be following along with us today as we get into God's Word here in just a second. Hopefully you were able to get a set of notes uh, as you made your way in, but if not, you can go to our website, which is up on your screen right now, nbcmettery.org, and you can click right on uh, our, our worship page, and you can be able to get uh, a set of notes and follow along. You know, when it comes to things in life, there's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. And this applies to anything. You know this. This applies to anything. There's a right way to do your job and there's a wrong way to do your job. Have you ever had to uh, maybe bring along an apprentice and have to show someone or maybe there was a new coworker that came along they didn't really know, you know, how to do things very specifically. And so you had to be the person to train them. Maybe you've been on the other side of that and you did something wrong. You know, I, I've been in uh, places where uh, after college, One of my first jobs was to work at a plow company. That's right, a plow company. They made plows for farms. And so I'll never forget, there are certain bearings that you put in some of these plows. And I'll never forget, there was a time I forgot to put the bearings in one of the plows. Closed it all up, all the casing up. My boss came up to me two weeks later and he said, you know that order that we shipped off? did you put the bearings in that? And I thought to myself, oh no, the customer had called and said, this is not working. And I just think, you know, because there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. There's things like cooking, you ever had somebody in your, in your life that cooked something the, the right way, or maybe they cooked it the wrong way? You don't have to have a show of hands or anything, you know, but you know when you put that first bite into your mouth, if something's done the wrong way. Driving, well, we live in the city of New Orleans, you know, and so we know when people are driving uh, the wrong way. You know, it, it's interesting, even as, as a parent, you know, it, it's the most small task uh, has to be taught. There's even a right way to brush your teeth. You know, I'm having to teach my kids how to brush your teeth the right way as opposed to just, you know, putting it in there and sucking on the toothbrush and, you know, getting, getting, you know, the toothpaste everywhere. I mean, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. I was watching something this week that I want to share with you here in just a second of, of people who were in the gym and they were doing things the wrong way. And I thought it was pretty humorous. So I went to a couple different videos and I kind of put a, a compilation together. And I want you to look at this. If you've ever been in the gym, anytime, even if you haven't been in, in the gym, you're probably going to watch this and go, that's not quite right. So let's turn our attention to the screens and we'll roll this video. Now, now some of those people filmed themselves. I don't know why, but others... Others were, I think, were kind of in the back, kind of, kind of filming, like, look, look at this. In, in all of these situations, even if you don't go to the gym, you go, ah, that's, that's not quite the right technique to that. There's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. Some of those things are actually quite cringeworthy, and you just go, oh, that's not the way to do it. And can I just be honest with you today? The same is true in our Christian life, especially, especially when it comes to sharing our faith. When it comes to sharing our faith, Uh, on the one side, I think we all know that, that yelling at people when you share your faith is not probably the best approach to go about it. It's probably not the best method or technique and, you know, it's not gonna really, you're not gonna win that, that, that person over. Some people look at sharing their faith like winning an argument. Like, I've got to have every answer for everything. You know, I've got to, I got to pretty much twist their arm, you know, spiritually speaking. I've got to have, I got to know everything. And it's almost like a debate to them. Well, well, that's not right. On the other side of doing things, you know, wrong is people that, that yes, they'll share God's love. And that is so important. We're going to be talking about that today, about sharing God's love, but that's all they do. They don't talk about judgment. They don't talk about sin. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about any of those things. And so you only get a one-sided gospel. If God is all love and there's no justice involved, there's no era of sin, anything like that, well, what do I need to be saved from? That's the whole point of being saved is I was saved from something, my sin and judgment. So so that side, obviously, we know is wrong. Or, you know, one of the things that I, the category that I think many of us would fall into is that we just don't share it all. And that's another way of, of doing things wrong. And so... Um, for the past, well, two weeks ago, we've talked about Paul and how he's on his second missionary journey. He's left Berea and he's coming down to Athens. And what we'll do is we'll put this map up here on the screen so that you can be able to see kind of the, the total area of which we have covered. And here he gets to Athens. Let's blow it up. We'll get a little bit closer in. And I, by the way, I put these uh, I put these uh, in your notes so that you can have them that you can keep them. And so you can study later on. But so he's kind of come across the Aegean Sea and he's walked his way down. You see Berea up there, which was his last location. And he comes down into the area of Athens and he is blown away by all the idols that he is seeing. He's blown away by all the religions and all of the different philosophies. And so the Apostle Paul goes into the city of Athens and he's talking with religious people. He's talking with the Jews. He's talking with pagans. He's talking with businessmen and businesswomen we saw last week. He's talking to folks that were called Epicureans and they were atheists. And they thought this is the only life I have. And so they said, I'm just going to live however I'm going to live. I'm going to live for pleasure. I'm going to do what I want. Very hedonistic behavior. And so, so he's he's sharing with them. He's sharing with the Stoics who love to talk about philosophy. They love to talk about wisdom. And so they, they believe that God was in everything. God was in the table. God was in the chair. God was in the the ground. God was in everything. And so here he's having to share with all these different types of people and all different types of backgrounds. We might say, wow, that's crazy for him. But the reality is for us is that Are you not surrounded by all different types of people too? Do you not have all kinds of friends too? People that are pleasure seekers? Do you not have people in your life that are religious? Do you not have people in your life that are just... Thinkers and, you know, we might not call them a philosopher, but they're just thinkers and they like to think about different things. Do we have businessmen and businesswomen in our lives too? Absolutely. Every single one of us does. And he's sharing with them anyone that he comes in contact with and, 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 Today, what we're going to see is how he does it and how the Christian life is done. Now, we see this. We're going to put this verse up here on the screen. and You might actually write this uh, the, the, the reference to this particular passage in your notes. But I want you to see what, what Peter has told all of us about sharing our faith. This is what he says. He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That's the key part of it. You got to know Jesus as your Lord. You got to have him as your savior. You got to under, be under his authority and living under his authority. But then he goes on. Look at what I've put in here in bold. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Notice that it says always. Notice that it doesn't say sometimes. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that you have in you, the hope of heaven, the hope of Christ, the relationship that you have in him. And then I love it. Remember how I told you how there's a right way and a wrong way to do things? Isn't this brilliant? The Bible tells you that there's a right way and a wrong way. That very last line says, but do this with gentleness and respect. What is the best way to share your faith with others who don't know Christ? With gentleness and respect. You're going to see the Apostle Paul today come up and he's going to share his faith and he's going to do it with gentleness and respect. He's not going to yell at anybody. Some people are going to say he's crazy, but others are going to say, you know what, there's truth in what you're saying and I need to give my heart to this person called Jesus Christ. And so that's where I want us to pick up today is we're in chapter 17. We're going to start right here in verse 19. I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then we'll talk about kind of what's going on. So we saw last week that he's talking to all the people and people are are saying, what is this babbler having to say? And so a couple of them, it it struck up a a chord in their heart. And in verse 19, it says, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may may we learn about this new teaching that you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us. they never heard it before. so it sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. And so what you have here is they take him up to the to the Areopagus and, and, and it says that he stands there and he shares the gospel. And here's something that I just want to let you know is that the cool thing is you can actually go to this exact same place today. I was talking uh, with Jim, who's up, upstairs running our slides. He said, Dan, I've actually been there. I've actually stood in that place. And so we have a picture. Let's go ahead and put that picture up here of, of the Parthenon. So we talked about this last week, how we have a picture of the, the Parthenon that sits atop the Acropolis. And what I was looking for this week as we were getting ready to prepare this message, I was looking for a picture that had both the Acropolis with the Parthenon on top and also the Areopagus in, in one picture. And I wasn't able to find it. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to Look up here. I got on Google Earth this past week, and uh, we'll go ahead and yeah, open it up. And so, this is the city of Athens, modern day Athens, on Google Earth. And so, we'll zoom in a little bit here. And so, there you can see the Parthenon, and it's sitting atop the Acropolis with the city all around it. So, you're kind of uh, generally in the, the middle of the city there. And so, you can kind of see it's being raised up. You've got some of the amphitheaters that are uh, along the side, you got two amphitheaters there. And then, as you move, Uh, left here, you can see there's this little hill and it doesn't look like much, but this was called the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was a place where they would come, the the city council would come together and they would judge all different types of things. Part of the reason it was called the Areopagus was it was, that's literally translated into English, the hill of Ares. He was the Greek god of war. You may have heard of this place as being called Mars Mars. Hill. Have you ever heard that before? What's the difference in Ares and Mars? Well, there's really no difference between Aries and Mars. Ares was the Greek god of war and Mars was the Roman god of war. They just had different names. And so the city's council, they, they would try different cases. If there was a homicide, They would try cases up here uh, at the Areopagus. If there was an assault, if there were religious matters that came up, and there's even a a case that, that as I was looking at, uh, a case of arson, Someone had lit someone's olive trees on fire. And so they came, where did they judge that trial? They came up here to the Areopagus, just to the side of of the Parthenon. And so they convene in this location. And so you have all of these different things that are taking place. And this was more of an informal meeting. They said, you know what, let's take this guy up. We want to hear some more. So they weren't really putting Paul on trial, but they said, you know what, an informal meeting so that we can begin to hear more about what is going on and what's taking place. And so here's where I want you to see in verse 22, that's exactly where Paul was right up here, where you see some of the tourists, but the Apostle Paul, I want you to picture in your mind, the Apostle Paul up there with all these council leaders, with everyone that's saying, we want to know more about this. And and, and this is what he has to say. It says that Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens... I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of, of worship, I even found an altar on which you were inscribed, which was inscribed to an unknown God. Now, picture this in your mind. They had idols all over the city, idols everywhere. They had statues everywhere and they had all these different things, you know, so they had them to Athena and they had them to Ares and they had them to all these other different different gods and goddesses, okay, and all their little servants. And so they have all these idols. And then, picture this, just in case they missed one, they didn't want to miss one, you know, and they said, just in case we miss a god, we want to make sure that we cover that one. So they made an idol and they inscribed it to the unknown God. Now, check out how the Apostle Paul intertwines this. He says, I found that altar to the unknown God. He says, Therefore, what you worship in ignorance. This I am proclaiming to you. And so essentially he says, you know that unknown God? I'm about to tell you about him right here, right now. In verse 24, it says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. And then he takes them all the way back to creation. Creation as we know it, not as creation as they knew it with this plethora of gods that they had. So he takes them back in verse 26, "From one man he made every nationality to live over the whole earth and as uh, has determined their appointed times and boundaries of, of where they live. He did this that he that they might seek God and perhaps that they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Verse 28, For in him we live and we move and we have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. So he takes even some of their own pagan poetry, brings it in to the way that he's sharing the gospel, for we are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring then, We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. That's what the idols were made out of. An image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Who's the man that that he has appointed? It's Jesus, but he hasn't slipped that in here just yet. He has provided proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And in verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, "We'd like to hear, we'd like to hear from you again about this." So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him, look at this, and believed. These people get saved including Dionysus, uh, the, the Aeropagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And so here's what I, I want us to, to see today, is that the Apostle Paul has all these different types of people around him, many of which have never even heard the name Jesus. So that's not where he's going to start with them. And so he has this, this method. And so at the top of your notes, I want you to see that I've, I've put this in here that there's a Mars Hill approach. And it's an excellent approach to the way that, that he shares with them. You know, I, I, I didn't read this quote earlier. We'll probably go back if we can put this on, on the screen. But, but I want to I wanna highlight this quote that I put in your notes earlier. Because not only was the Apostle Paul on a mission trip, you and I live our lives on a daily mission trip. I don't know if you've ever thought of your life like that. I don't know if you've ever thought of your job like that. I don't know if you've thought of your school like that. But I want us to begin to think of our lives, not just I go to work and I go to church and I do these different activities. I want you to think of your entire life from the time that you leave your house to the time that you come home as a daily mission trip. Alvin Reed, who who wrote a book, he wrote the book called uh, uh, Evangelism Handbook. He said this, he said, mission trips are a wonderful thing. I have been on mission trips. I've been on mission trips in the United States. I've been on mission trips outside of the United States. I've been on local mission trips. But here's what he says. He says, but what if you thought, what if you thought of your life as a mission trip? What if you and I took the posture of a missionary and began to raise our children, approach our jobs, and took our neighbors from the point of view of a missionary? He says it could absolutely be revolutionary. And for us here today, that's what I want us to get, is I want us to take what Paul has said right here on Mars Hill, and I want to say, you know what? How can we best put this into our lives? You know, when, when Peter said that, that always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you, sometimes, I don't know about you, I just need a starting place. You just need a starting place? You have people in your life. There are people in my life and I'm a pastor. And I'm like, man, I really wanna share the gospel with this person. But I don't know where to start. I don't know where the conversation is supposed to start. And today, what I want us to see based on Paul is I want us to see his met. Let's see where he started. Let's see where he ended up. And so let's fill in some of these little gaps so that when you and I, when we're put in that position, that we can say, okay, how am I going to share the gospel with folks that are around me? So the Mars Hill approach is an excellent approach to sharing Your faith. Well, how does it start? How do we start sharing our faith? Let me give you a great pointer right here. Number one, write this down, is to declare the greatness of God. To declare the greatness of God. Sometimes I, I, do you ever feel like you gotta go from from zero to 60 in like two seconds? I gotta tell them about Jesus. I gotta tell them about, you know, I gotta tell them about devil. I gotta tell them, you know, Jesus died on the cross. and, And notice that's not where the apostle Paul started. He, they, he's got to warm up to that. This is a process. And so look with me in verse, in, in verse 24. In verse 24, he comes out and he says, he starts with creation. He talks, says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. This isn't Zeus we're talking about. This isn't a guy who's throwing lightning bolts. No, he is the one who is over all these things. There are not a plethora of gods. There is one God, and he is the creator of all mankind. And essentially, this is how he starts, that how big God is. He starts with creation, where they come from. Notice later on, he's going to talk about uh, with one man he made every nationality, and he's blowing their minds because everything that they have been taught. This is why a lot of them begin to to ridicule him. It's because everything that they've been taught that he's he's beginning to kind of tear down. And he's saying that there is one supreme God, and here's the thing: you and I can use this. Two, the world has a design. We obviously can see that. And so the world has a designer, you know, and he's got folks in his life that the Epicureans we've been talking about, they believe that there is no God. He talked about the Stoics who believe that, that everything is God, almost like a stuff like matter is a prison for God. But the reality is he's saying, look, look around you. Isn't there a design to all this? So there's a designer. There has to be. And some people would, you know, talk about things like like, like evolution and and the Big Bang and all that kind of stuff. And while I certainly believe in adaptation, where things adapt over time, I don't believe in evolution, where things just exploded, because that's, order just doesn't come out of chaos. You know, order doesn't come out of chaos. The Big Bang says that there is chaos, and it became order. That's like a tornado running through a forest and then it just, all all the pieces falling and it making a neighborhood. It just doesn't work that way. And you and I can be like Paul. If we don't know someone and how to talk to them, let's talk to them about the greatness of God. And you say, Pastor Dan, you just just jumped right into evolution. Is that what I'm supposed to do? "No, No, not necessarily. You know, I used to feel guilty. If I can be completely honest with you, because I was trying to have conversation with people and I would talk about all, all the things under the sun. I'd talk about weather or I'd talk about kids or I'd talk about the news and things that are going on. But can I be honest with you? I don't feel guilty anymore because there are ways that you can bring in the greatness of God even talking about the weather. We've had some beautiful weather lately. How easy would it be to say to a coworker or say to a, a friend and say, you know what? God has given us some really great weather. See, that's totally different from turning to a person in the line at the grocery store and said, man, it's really raining or whatever. You know, that you could say, God has given us some great weather. Or God has, has given us some rain today. And I'm so glad because we haven't really had much rain. Or maybe that you've had a lot of rain. And you say, man, God sure has given us a lot of rain. You are alluding to the greatness of God. I love our, our praise band and the songs that they've been, been doing for us. I, I love music, and, and I love to listen to it. Man, isn't it good that God has given us music? You can share things like that. Even in the news, as you talk about the things, the world events that are taking place even today, that you can say and allude to the greatness of God, because you could say, despite everything that's going on, God is still in control. Isn't it good to know That God is over everything. And that, if nothing else, it's going to raise their eyebrows. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in this situation. And you guys, y'all are so creative. There is so much creativity across this room. How do you put the greatness of God into your conversations? How do you do it? It's the easiest place to start. That's why the Apostle Paul started there. It's it's not just a tactic to sharing our faith. It's actually what you and I think about. Do you think about the greatness of God on a day-to-day basis? It's not just something that we say. It's something that we believe. It's something that's, that's in our core. Because when you consistently focus on the greatness and the beauty of God, nothing else satisfies. Have you thought about that? If your heart as a Christian is just enveloped by the greatness of God, materialism cannot satisfy you. Lust cannot satisfy you. Money cannot satisfy you. Popularity cannot satisfy you, and neither can power, because you are overwhelmed daily by the greatness of God. It's huge. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the goodness of God. So today's uh, sermon has been brought to you by the letter G. And so you can write there, so declare the goodness of God. Now, how do you remember this? Well, think of that old time table prayer. God is great. God is good. There you go. All right. You're you're a witnessing professional. All right. You could share the gospel with someone. Real quickly, let's see where he talks about the goodness of God. Look in verse 27. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's not far from each one of us. And so here's what what we wanna see is that he is the God who is good, he is loving, he cares, he reaches out. I was was talking to someone uh, even this week, as I mentioned earlier, about how distance how we tend not to care as much when, we're, when there's distance. So, you know, we've got this war that's taking place on the other side of the world in Ukraine. And, and do we genuinely care? Do we genuinely pray with urgency because it's so far away? You know, I've noticed how this also works on social media. Because people feel a disconnect, they're not, they're not right in front of them. And so they tend to be more harsh. They tend to say things that they would not say if that person was right in front of them and, or, or just quite literally within reach, you know, of being able to say, you, you can't say that. Even my dogs, I have two dogs, and they are they're, they're sisters. Did you know that if I put my two dogs on two different sides of, of their crate, one in the cage and one outside, they will bark and bark and bark. I mean, they are ferocious, but I put them right next to one another, and they are sweet as can be. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes distance. There, there, there's a, a chasm within the distance. That's why Jesus doesn't want there to be any distance. There's distance for so long. And that's why he came 2,000 years ago to close that distance. And so for us, he wants to be close. He, uh, that's why he wants people to know him. And so he can close that distance. That's why we say when you accept Christ as your savior, he comes and he lives inside of you. He is a good God. He's not like these Roman gods. He's not like the, all these gods who treated people as nothing. He is a God who is genuine. Now, how can you put that into a conversation? How can you talk about how the goodness of God, you talked about the greatness of God, the goodness of God, how he's provided for you, how he's provided for your family, how he's walked alongside you in the dark times so that you can go from the greatness of God to the goodness of God. God is great. God is good. How can you work that into a conversation? The Apostle Paul says he wants you to reach out to him. He wants you to know him. That's not a hard statement for us to say. Then the third thing that I want us to write down of the Mars Hill approach is to declare the governance of God. Now, this is where things get a little different. You say the governance of God. Yes, the governance of God. Look at verse 30. It says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. All right. Did you see this? God's good. He loves you. He cares about you, but now you you can't miss. There's two sides of the coin. You got the goodness of God and the governance of God. Okay, you got the love of God and the judgment of God. You got to share both sides of the coin. And so here he clearly says, he says he calls all people to repent. And this is where we talk about things like sin and punishment. And I'm not saying that we go walking around, you know, with a washboard sign with something that says repent across it, but We've got to know, people have to know that he is in control and we are not. And he has made the rules and so many people make up their own rules about God. That's why our nation, that's why our world is in the, the, that's why it, it, it is where it is. It's because so many people have made up their own rules and they're not going according to what God has said. We have to know our place. I was reading in my quiet time this week, Proverbs 1-7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. What's that mean? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Essentially, it's you know your place. I'm not God. I can't act like God. He's God and I am under his authority and his rule. And this is where I've heard good-meaning people. I've heard good-meaning Christians say, don't talk about sin. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about things like judgment. It turns people off. Have you ever heard someone say that or maybe allude to something like that? We can't divorce the gospel. We can't divorce God's love From his judgment. That's like a doctor saying that he can't tell a patient that they have cancer. Oh, it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. It's going to make them feel awkward. It might even make them angry. First of all, if a doctor doesn't tell you the truth, he's not or she's not a good doctor. What does that say about our ability to share? What if we don't tell people? What if we don't tell them about judgment? What if we don't tell them about the, the spiritual cancer called sin that is eating their soul? We've got to be upfront with this. A good doctor tells you the truth because he cares, not because he's trying to be malicious, because he wants to see you get better. That is the heart of, that we share the governance of God with those that are around us. I love you. And I don't want to see your, your soul fall into, uh, fall into hell and fall into judgment. I care about you, the governance of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to tell people the truth because we care. We tell them that God is holy and he governs the world with righteousness and he wants his people to be righteous and religion just doesn't work. Being a good person doesn't work. It doesn't get you to heaven. If you've got cancer, you've got to get it out. And the only way that the spiritual cancer can come out is not by your good works. It's only by the infusion of the blood of Christ through by grace through faith. You can't. It's like a cancer patient saying, you know what, I just need to run more. I need to eat right. No, you've got to have a treatment. And for us, that treatment is... Is Jesus Christ. That's how we go. We go from the greatness of God to the goodness of God to the governance of God. And then that leads us right into this very last thing. Write this down. To the grace of God. To the grace of God. Look at the last thing here in verse 31. 31 it says, Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't even say the name Jesus. He just says the man that he's appointed, he's talking about the son of God, he's talking about Jesus, and I'm sure he said more about that. But look, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He gets to the gospel. He gets to the cross. He gets to the payment that their sins have been paid for and that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he was resurrected. Now, some people scoffed at that, but here's the thing. that As we talk about the grace of God, is that good news isn't good news unless there's bad news. And the bad news is that your sin will kill you. Your sin leads to death. That's what Romans 3.23 says. So sin leads to death. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus provided. Jesus provided. So we get ready to kind of close today. I have a good friend of mine and his mother was having liver failure. Can you imagine that? And things were looking grave. Things were looking like she wasn't going to make it. And they came to him, her son. Now, he was in his early 30s at the time. And said, now, if you're open to this, there's an experimental treatment that we can do. He said, man, I'm open to anything. This is my mom and this is what she said. He said, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost. Because you are the closest to her genetically, we can try giving her a part of your liver to save her life so we can take a part of your liver you can live with the rest kind of like the same way it would work with a kidney you can live with one kidney things like that but we're going to take a good portion of your liver i think it was about one third and we're going to give it to her well that makes it a little bit different That makes makes now, oh, this isn't just a treatment where we're going to give a shot and maybe do some chemo or, you know, anything like that. This is going to cost me. And so they decided that it was the right thing to do. That he didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it to save her life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the story of Jesus Christ. Because the sacrifices all throughout the Old Testament, they weren't cutting it. There was one treatment that was going to cost. And it wasn't son here. It was the son of God. The son of God comes. And he didn't give a part of his liver. He gave his very life. And that's what grace is. Grace is when you don't deserve something and it costs somebody something. Man, that's what grace is. And so now he's giving of himself. He takes upon himself the punishment. And this great, powerful God who's also good, who loves you and wants to know you, and he wants you to know him too, there's a problem in his divine governance. You you have a rap sheet. Do you realize that? You and I have a rap sheet. You say, I've never done anything wrong. No, no, no. In God's economy, you have a rap sheet of every sin that you've ever committed. And only righteous people can have a relationship with God and so Jesus didn't give his liver he gave his very self to be sacrificed so that legally you could have your sins forgiven and because of his grace his arms are open wide and even now his arms are open wide this is the Mars Hill approach that you go from the greatness of God to the goodness of God to the governance of God And then it goes on right here to the grace of God. You and I can use this. I want you to take what we've learned today and to meditate on it and to ask yourself, you know what, this is Mardi Gras. We've got Lent coming up. We've got things, you know, that are part of our city. How can I use this to guide my discussion with those that are around me even this week? Let's bow and have a word of prayer.